Oh, we're in so much so, trouble. So. Okay. We will begin a mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you get me so easily. It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you will give you witchcraft. Can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message to bring your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to yet another Area 51 recording of Sci-Fi Saturday Night, the only podcast to guarantee that if you listen, you get to hear stuff. This week in episode 500, it's another mask mandate date here. And tonight in semi-quarantine, it's an Area 51 fun with questions. And the question tonight is, who are we going to interview? Is it going to be a doctor? Is it going to be a writer? Is it going to be somebody who does all kinds of things? And the answer to the question is, why, yes, it is. Before we get to that. Commander Cam joins us once again from his gerbil cage here in Area 51, where he's been running around the tunnels going, I'm late for a very important date. Commander Cam, how are you tonight? I can't tell you. I'm I'm late for a very important date. We've got a really (laughs) great author on it. I still can't find where I put the copy of the book. Uh Uh-oh. You know what that means. She's only written about about 50 of them, so you've got to make a choice here. Oh, I already made my choice, but, you know, I think, oh, okay. I, think I may have left it down near the hamster wheel, so I'll, I'll go down there. Okay. Well, you can do that. Uh, and while you're doing that, I can take a, a minute to a moment. It shouldn't take a minute, but it might because she's written an awful lot of stuff. Our guest tonight is Melissa Yee. And Melissa, hey. hi, welcome to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Thank you so much for having me. Um, well, you're very welcome. And before we get to talking about who you are and what you do, let's talk about who you are and what you do. Oh, wait, that came out wrong, but that's okay. <laughs> um, it came out totally wrong, but that's okay. Um, you are one of the most eclectic people we've ever had on the show, who's a writer and like a thousand other things. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um so five fun facts about you. Oh, do I have um, to with them? Well, yeah, because you this is off your website. Yeah. Um you've tried throat singing. Now yes, I used to work up north sometimes. There's only one other person that I've known um uh who who, who knows how to throat sing, and that's Billy West. The uh, voice actor. Oh, I have now, to say, I'm not very good at it. Like, you really have to get down low and, like, really think about using your chest as well. Right. Yeah. And so when they were teaching us, um, it was it's mostly women who do it, right? So women come very close. Um, one of the other um, physicians actually was saying that 
um, her breasts and the woman's breasts were kind of on top of each other. They were that close and they would be like, hum, hum, and you, you kind of do it back and forth. And for me, they were trying to kind of educate me to, to, <laughs> to get it better, but I tried. And actually our, the, the social worker who taught karate was better at it than I was. And it's really interesting because the only reason Billy West learned how to do it was because uh, I asked him a question and the question was, what's the most difficult voice you've ever had to learn? And how did you learn how to do it properly? And his answer to me was Popeye. Mm. And the way he learned to do it was by throat singing. And that's how we got the duality, dual tone of Popeye's voice correctly. Wow, I wouldn't have put that together. That was very clever. He's he's one of the most clever voice artists I've ever met. And when I saw that, I went, I wonder if she was trying to learn how to do Popeye's voice. (laughs) (laughs) And then I've met you and the answer was clearly not. Um, So the second thing that I learned about you that I would have never known is that while you were up north in Quebec, you also learned karate and ice fishing. And I'm assuming not at the same time. Not at the same time. That's true. <laughs> but um, ice fishing is really easy when you're that far up north, like north of 60, because they're so hungry that you don't even have to bait your hook. You can just put a hook down and they'll start biting. They just wow. see a shiny thing in the water and go for it. Yeah. 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 Like, And it was winter, too. So they were just ready to go. So that was one thing. And then the other thing you would ask, oh, I learned karate there too. Yes, as I mentioned, one of the social workers there was also a black belt in karate. So he would teach us for fun, uh, you know, twice a week. And one of the things that I thought was great was that unfortunately, well, this part wasn't so great. The indigenous people didn't really come. It was mostly the um, people who worked in the hospital who came. But I had made friends with an indigenous woman. And so she came and she could kick. Again, better than I could. <laughs> so I was glad that I could help um, bring in the people who actually live there. Okay, one, the obvious question, or maybe not so obvious question, is how long were you up north? Oh, so I'm not very long. Like, I, I spent a month there as a medical student. You can, we did a, you know, we have a rural part of our rotation. Right. And I used to go up to Pavernatuk. Um, which is one of well, them. Now I know how to pronounce what I wasn't able to pronounce when I saw it written out. <laughs> I'm probably not saying it right either. Sometimes people just call it PUV to be um, to make it easier. Um, I spent a month there. Partly, I have to say, because one of the medical well, a medical student had told me that she went up there and she had this beautiful um, fox trim on her jacket because they had given her fox fur when she was there. Um, nobody gave me fox fur or anything like that, but I did go up and the, you know, it was, it was beautiful, very remote. Um, it was great that the people still spoke, you know, everybody was fluent, lots of hunting. Um, so it was, it was very interesting. Later on, I would just do one week locums kind of is what we call it in English. In French, it's called dépannage, which is the same word that you use for, um, Kind of the corner store. I don't, so I'm not sure why exactly that's the word, but you just go up there for a week or more. And so I went to other places, um, Kujuak and Ivuivik and other places. I only went once to the Cree territory in Shisasabi, but I enjoyed that too. It's a, that's, a, that's a little bit harder because um, 
they they have lost their land because of hydroelectricity. And all of their like their traditional territory that they would roam around on has been flooded. So they've been relocated. And so they have a lot of funding, like they had their own gym and that sort of thing, but they no, were no longer able to do the, the hunting and fishing that they would normally do. And so there was more diabetes and obesity and that sort of thing. So, and two very different cultures, but I do love it. And if you ever have a chance to go up north, it's really worthwhile going. It sounds absolutely entrancingly beautiful. And it, then is, it, it is beautiful, it, very barren, right? It's just, it's like when I would go, it would often be winter. So just snow and rock. And then at the same time, item number three on the five fun facts we don't know about you is you've tried contemporary dance and something called whacking. Oh, yeah, but I was pretty bad at it. Yeah, whacking is so hard. What is uh, whacking? To me, it's a lot of arm movements around the head. Um, like, so you, like if you ever see it, people are very graceful with their movements and that sort of thing. But honestly, it gets tiring to do it after a while. And also, they have a certain way of walking. I can't remember what they call it, but they would want you to cross the room doing their sort of, you kind of crouch down, like you got to bend your knees like bend your hips and then, and I don't know, almost like duck walk across, but like in a cool way. <laughs> uh, they told me that I had no idea what they were talking about. <laughs> so um, yeah, that I just went in blindly, but it's, it's its own art form basically. So then after being in one of the coldest places uh, in, in Canada, you once swam beside sea lions in the Galapagos. Yes, that was more recently. Um, uh, a travel company asked me if I would go on free trips around the world in exchange for writing novels. Oh, so I how said, terrible! <laughs> <laughs> and the first place was the uh, was Ecuador and the Galapagos, and the second place was Egypt. What was the Galapagos like for you? It was interesting because I, you know, when I was in grade three, that was the first place. Like in my life, I remember thinking, I want to go there. But I didn't realize how kind of remote and expensive it was. And so I kind of let it go as an adult. But it was interesting going there. I, mean, we had, I had to fly. Well, I mean, the whole thing was an adventure because I, I slept through my night flight, actually, from Mexico City to Quito. So I was stuck in Mexico City for 24 hours. <laughs> That's not good. And just no. by the way, you can't. You can't drink the water there. I don't like. I don't know what I was thinking, but you know, I I woke up and I was like, okay, where are the water fountains? And so I was wandering around and trying to ask people where they were, and then they explained that, that there weren't any, and that you really wouldn't want to drink the water there. And I was like, oh, right, yes, <laughs> I am not in Kansas or in Canada anymore. Um, Ecuador was quite beautiful. Um, you know, they were very colonized. You know, they had a lot of Catholic like cathedrals and that sort of thing. Um, so I preferred the Galapagos where you have to go down. Ecuador is interesting because it has different landscapes, like three different landscapes. So one of them is the mountains. The second one is, I guess, sort of love sea level. The next one is beach. And they have their own cultures and, you know, to a certain extent, different types of people who prefer to live in different ones. So you have to go down to the beach area and then you have to fly from there to the Galapagos. And I was with a bunch of travel agents. So um, you know, they didn't pack lightly, but they had fun things like they would have a suitcase inside their suitcase. So they just bring the lighter one to the Galapagos because they're very strict about weight. 
and only a certain number of people are allowed in the Galapagos per year because of you know environmental reasons. And you know, so only a certain number of people, only a certain amount of weight. You know, you have to buy a visa when you go in, the whole bit. Um, and it's all volcanic. So when I learned about the history of it, I was like, oh my goodness, because you know, it was just discovered by accident, basically. And um, when they first started to colonize it, they used it as a penal colony. So they just put prisoners on it and they would have them just carrying rocks in the sun. And if you can imagine, you know, how hot it is on the equator and they just be carrying rocks basically for no reason. They were told maybe it was for a prison for themselves, but also they were just sort of building nothing and just being basically in, enslaved to die. There's a lot of pol political prisoners who died that way. So that was horrifying. And when you go there, you can see all the volcanic rock there. So one of my tips for you, if you ever go, is the mosquitoes are terrible. So they brought us out. Like it's a, it was a really um, active trip. Like our boat was very fast, so it could cover the ground faster than, than other boats. But what it meant was that the advantage was that you could do an activity in the morning and activity in the afternoon. So basically you could hike in, you know, hike in the mountains at one point and then you could scuba dive or it was actually snorkeling that we were doing in the afternoon. Um, and so they let us off. They're like, okay, now it's time to snorkel. I'm like, oh, great. I got off like instant attack by the mosquitoes. I couldn't believe it. So make sure you spray yourself up and down before you get off. And um, you you cannot leave anything on the islands. Like they're very strict about that. You know, they, they obviously don't want pollution um, for all the very delicate ecosystem that's there. And when we went, uh, you mentioned the sea lions. Um, we were really lucky. You only get to see penguins a certain time of year. And we were able to see the penguins um, before they left, basically, briefly. And um, crabs and, um, you know, those like blue-footed boobies and these birds, like kind of a frigate bird that they puff out their throats and this enormous red thing, you know, so you know really quite amazing and the other thing is they're not afraid of humans because they haven't been socialized and because tourists are not supposed to be mean to the animals so you're supposed to keep you know about two meters away from them and i was quite annoyed at the end we went to a tortoise colony and you know so they're raising the tortoises to try and get them back because people have eaten them basically there are hardly any left of these majestic creatures and uh German tourist grabbed one of the tortoises' heads because he wanted to do a selfie with it. Oh, oh, yes. no. Yes, can you imagine? Yeah. No. This, yes. We were furious, but actually, and then they, they told him, oh, you shouldn't do that. But there was no sanction. You know, he wasn't kicked out. He didn't have to go back to the bus. He didn't have to pay a fine, nothing. So we were, we were pretty peeved <laughs> about it. Um. Yeah, I'll just add. So I'll just add one, maybe too much information story, but one of the people in on our group got sick, and had um, like was throwing up, but really wanted to go um, snorkeling, and was like, oh, I, but I really want to go. Do you think I should go? And I was like, no, you're not allowed. You're not supposed to put anything into the waters around the Galapagos, and you could, you know, have stuff coming out of both ends, and you think you should go there. And she's like, well, I really want to. I'm like, you can, like, tomorrow morning will be your next chance. You can go then. But it's just not a good idea. And I'm happy to say she didn't go, actually. That is probably a very good thing. <laughs> yes. Um, 
if I could be like full disclosure, there was somebody who passed away actually. Um, at the end, I did hear them calling for a doctor and I was like, Hmm, should I go? And I, I decided not to go. Um, and then it turned out that the person did pass away actually. Um, I was surprised at the number of people who were really quite elderly who were on the trip. Um, it's obviously a bucket list sort of thing, but if you are not in good shape, I would suggest taking one of the easier trips, like not one of the ones where you're going to be hiking and swimming all over the place. Cause I was exhausted for the snorkeling. I wasn't used to swimming around in all the water. <laughs> and so I don't recommend like, you know, just, just take it easy. Don't, uh, don't go too hard. And the last thing that you kind of, uh, fun facted about yourself on your website is that uh, you visited the pyramids of uh, Giza. Yes, because the, the second trip was for Egypt. And um, I visited from a distance, I have to say, unfortunately. I wanted to be with my son on his birthday, but my travel group was going to the pyramids that day. Um, so I ended up having to go, like I paid privately at the end to just very quickly from a distance, look at the pyramids and then come back. But actually fun fact for that, or not fun fact, sort of sobering fact, was that there was a bomb that day um, oh. around the Egyptian museum. So I completely missed it since I was, you know, traveling from Canada, but they were close enough that one of the group members was like, felt the, you know, heard the boom, felt the earth shake and was like, what is that? And the tour guide was like, oh, nothing. And just uh, <laughs> hurried them away. <laughs> but when I was writing my latest thriller, like the 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 book I released in 2020, Scorpion Scheme, I did use that as the instigating incident because it was just uh, you, like, how can you pass up a bomb? Well, I was gonna yeah, that's I was gonna ask that because uh, as as a sort of lead into what you write, including the book that we did read for this podcast, is that. You know, it sounds like you've gotten to do a lot of traveling and you, you you have, including just in your your native Canada, but all over the world. And you seem to ni nicely you know, mix that in with your stories like Scorpion Scheme. And I'm just it's is it is so is it all in these cases that you 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 go there and then the idea comes to you? Or has there been some cases where you've had an idea and then going there helps flesh it out? Yeah, a bit of both, I guess. Like for Scorpion Scheme, I just knew I wanted to write a book that was set in Egypt. You know, when I started researching it, I was like, there is so much history. There's so much legend. There's so much culture. You know, I can't pass this up. So I went there knowing I would write it. And then I was kind of open to the idea of what that would end up being. But the weird, the weird thing for me is that you have... Well, at least two really full-time vocations going on here. <laughs> I mean, you are a full-time doctor. Well, I'm part-time, so that that explains that. No, it doesn't explain it at all. It does not <laughs> explain it at all. <clears throat> because in order to be a part-time doctor, you you were a full-time learning to be a doctor. Yeah, yeah, that part was super hard. <laughs> I have to go back and do that. And at the same time, you've written a gazillion books. Well, and, after I finished the, my medical training, though. When I was Steve, doing it, you know, I was just like, honestly, sometimes I could just write like, I would just try and write one line in my head. 
per day. So, like, so which came first for you? Which was your first passion? Or were they, were you just like juggling eggs to make both of them work? <laughs> Um, I wanted to be a writer first. If I had been more brave, I would have just done writing. But I, I just never liked the idea of starving to death or relying on somebody else to make the money. So I was like, well, you know, I'll just become a doctor and then I can always support myself. <laughs> and it will give me stuff to write about. So it's just win-win. Well, that part seemed to work out really, really well. Uh <clears throat> Because there's, there's, I was going to say a medicinal aspect, but that's not really right. There's a medical aspect, uh, at least from what I've been able to catch, in an awful lot of your books. Yeah, it's hard to escape, really. Right. I mean, you know. Even if I just want to throw in a disease but not cure it, you know, I still, you know, it's still tempting to do. So, so. It it becomes, you know, chicken and the egg thing happening here, because as I'm looking at uh, the. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at the different genres that you work in, in your, in your books, from fantasy to grief, to medical, to medical humor, to mysteries, to memoirs. To, to radio dramas, to romance, to science fiction, to suspense, to travel, to women's fiction, to young adult. Uh, I mean, uh, what don't you like to write about? Let's start there. <laughs> well, what don't I like to write? You know what? Hard science fiction is hard for me, actually. I don't, I'm not naturally inclined towards it. So it's, I find it easier to sell short stories that are science fiction compared to fantasy. But I don't know if it's because I spent so much time studying that that it wasn't fun to me. And physics doesn't come easily to me. I can't imagine. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, my husband's an engineer. So to him, he can look at something and he can analyze it. Or, you know, he's like, oh, that makes sense, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, what? You know, I, I had to work very hard to try and get m good marks in physics. Um, so when other people are like really happily world building and inventing a new planet and that sort of thing i'm like wouldn't it be more fun just to have some you know monks in space wouldn't that just be great <laughs> and don't worry about the science so much so if i do do it i try to be very meticulous about it but i prefer not to have to worry about it so that's why i write a bit more fantasy so when did when did when did the paranormal stuff start happening for you because tonight we're we're going to talk about werewolves and sex yeah <laughs> <right> on. <laughs> well i in always fact, my liked werewolves you know so if you read I, you guys mentioned you did read it so you know in my bio i'm just like oh, you know of course i like werewolves which are warm and furry instead of vampires that are cold and dead you know yeah. i i guess i always just could relate to them i love dogs you know i relate to working as a team so i always wanted that stuff and I guess for wolf ice, I, I had just had the idea because when other people write about werewolves, it all it really annoys me. They're they're always like um, less powerful, less rich, can't get a good job. Like they, they're always somehow more pathetic compared to these um, werewolves that have all these ancient power and jewels and whatever. So I'm like, I'm going to make a werewolf clan. 
and they're going to be uh, smart and hardworking and, you know, yes, there are people out to get them, but they're going to do their darndest to, well, kill them or move them out of the way anyway. Yeah, because it was one of the the things that uh, I joked with Dome because I, I I beat him to finishing the book this time, and I wrote to him and said, "You're going to enjoy this. I'm going to give you my my one my my one sentence synopsis. It was sex and the single werewolf." <laughs> and, <laughs> I love and, it. And the fun part is, you answered my question without having asked because that was one of the things I wanted to ask you: is your choice of going with werewolves? And I do happen to agree with you. I rather enjoy werewolves more than vampires myself. There's something, well, a, a more warm-blooded, more there's just it, it's something that feels closer to who we are, you know, as as living beings as opposed to vampires, which are dead. Mm-hmm. So, no, I, I I I completely enjoyed it from that point of view. I mean. Of the two of us, I'm definitely the the one that enjoys the fantasy more than uh, Dome. But yep, just, I, I love what you, I I loved what you did with these werewolves. You gave them their own society, and well, I suppose I should do a little bit of introduction. But you know, this the story is set around a group of uh, of five werewolves who uh, are who live up in Canada in Quebec, if I remember correctly, and yep. they are. And they and they go out into the into the woods to, you know, handle that uh, once a month thing where they have to go out in the woods and become all hairy and run around uh, like crazy. And so that's what they do. And we have our characters who are Mac, Jack, Leela, Laurent and Elena. And unfortunately, Elena turns up dead. And that's where the mystery to this story begins. But what I love is that you've got this whole society backing them up. So each one of them is a clan group. And then you've got a larger group that kind of oversees them because you have these two characters come in and their names are escaping me. So I apologize. Who then come in and they're telling me, well, we'll do this. We'll take care of this. But on the end, they're going, well, this is Elena's our friend. We're going to take care of this. But I just love this society you created because that's kind of what you'd expect from a werewolf. So, you know, where... What was your inspiration to kind of come up with this society, which is, is very well developed here, of these werewolves? Oh, thank you. I guess it made sense to me to have, it's basically each territory has their own alpha, male and female. And it'd be like having a regional government, basically. Um, and to explain what Cam was saying about the territory is that these werewolves live in Montreal, which is a fairly major Canadian city. So, you know, once a month, there's not a lot of place for you to go and run free. So they're coming over the border to Ontario, where it's just a rural area, so that they can buy an old campground, and that will be their place to go. But unfortunately, as Cam said, Elena dies there, and they're trying to figure out what happened. And they're having trouble, you know, they don't want her to go to the hospital or anything like that. They wouldn't want her to be investigated, so they have to investigate themselves. So the alphas from that territory are the ones who are starting the investigation. It's, but because it's across the provincial border, it's people they don't know, but they have to obey because of the hierarchy. But they want to investigate themselves and see what's going on, especially because they disagree with the, the alphas. And yeah, it, it, and you do a great job with developing this mystery. And there's these, uh, I think you, th- you throw in some wonderful little red herrings here and there. 
But then you create, and I don't want to give too much away because I know a lot of people, like myself, when you read a mystery, you're reading it so that you can put the facts together yourself and try to figure out what happened ahead of, you know, the uh, the author, you know, doing the big reveal at the end. But they, somebody is responsible for this, and somebody is. I mean, you've even said it on your your jacket cover. Somebody is, you know, trying to to create is create a drug called wolf ice to kill werewolves, and they need to track this individual down and find out and i think that is where i realized even before i did because i did like i i've said i do my research after the after the fact so i did you know i i I read the book and then i do the research on who the person is so when i read that you were a doctor all of a sudden everything i read in that book made so much sense it was like finding out that uh, agatha christie worked in a uh, pharmacy for a living (laughs) And, you know, dispense poisons and you go, well, that explains why everybody dies of poisoning in their books. And your, your thing, like the, the emergency treatment they try to perform on Elena, all, that's why it all rings true. And I, I love that little addition to it. And so it's how much research did you do in creating Wolf Ice, you know, or was it just something you just kind of came up with? I, do you have the experience in that, that section? Oh, sorry. I was going to say that one of my friends is a coroner, so I did show him the resuscitation scene. He's a, he's a coroner and an emergency doctor, so I was just like, hey, Bob, does this look okay to you? And he and he, he thought it was fine, so that was all the research that I did. Um, for the other research, like looking at campgrounds and stuff like that, I have to say, you know what? Camping is not my thing, so that's one thing I can't relate to for, for werewolves. <laughs> you know, when other people are like, let's go camping, I'm like, ooh, but why? You know, like, so, um, but Kobo had hired me to write three, well, three short stories and uh, in honor of Gone Girl and their new Kobo Aura, which was their first, the, a waterproof e-reader. So they were like, you just have to write stories and they have to have something to do with water. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I knew I wanted to write about Hope so that people get to know Hope see who's my main protagonist. And I was like, why would she be around the water? So I was like, oh, camping. Now that's scary. <laughs> so I wrote a series of short stories uh, based on camping. And I, was, and I would quiz my friends and I put it out on the internet too. I'm just like, what is camping like? Especially <laughs> You know, what are you smelling? What do you like? What do the leaves look like? How cold are you at night? You know, and I got a lot of interesting answers, including like one of the people who answered had camped in Mongolia and that's where he met his wife. You know, so I ended up taking some of those sensory details and putting them in wolf ice. So it's great when you're a writer, and you can just sort of serve dual purpose. And I have to admit, I have gone camping since then. And of course, it's not so bad if you're. Oh, sorry. That's my dog, Roxy. It's not so bad if your husband sets up the tent and stuff like that. So, <laughs> and then it can be quite enjoyable. Oh yeah, definitely. As speaking from somebody who has been camping quite a few times, so yeah, it, it definitely can. So. And I and think Ro- squirrel. Sorry, like Roxy is very excited. If if it's too bad, I can put on my. <laughs> put in the head. She's oh, no worries. Fun having a dog in in the cast. It's always fine. <laughs> okay. All right. Good. Good. Yeah. Yeah. She's a she's a really good girl. And we love her. I think I think one of the things that intrigued me about the book was when you imbued the vampires with a level of sexuality that was just odd. What? 
<laughs> well, first, I think you mean werewolves, Dome. But I'm sorry. You know, it was, it, but You're right. but I will I will I will tell you that that was one of my dead giveaways. The way you wrote that that whole thing with you know there because you know you don't initially imply we don't really know about wolf ice at first. But I'm sitting there with you the the you know all this stuff going on and all of a sudden you know your characters like Jack and Leila all of a sudden, you know, they had these massively increased libidos. And I'm just going, <laughs> okay. And you wrote it so well that I got the feeling this was not normal. This was not normal for her to all of a sudden want to ride Jack like a horse and then, you know, leave him, you know, all done. And, and I'm sitting know? there and I'm wondering to myself at that point, is this the world she's created? Or right, is right. there something else going on? Exactly. Yeah. And it just became a contention for me as I'm reading it. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, okay, once, okay, twice, okay, three times, okay, four times. Oh, okay, hold on, five times. And then I'm going, in the grave? In the freaking grave. I'd forgotten about that one. Thank you, though. <laughs> and that was the point at which I said, huh. Huh. Something's not right As here. good as she looks, she ain't that good. Or maybe she is. <laughs> or good but as you, you know, for equal opportunity. I guess oh, yeah. so. But, but I, I got that feeling that something wasn't right. And that's and that's what I mean about the, the putting out nice clues and, you know, red herrings over here and clues over here. And I'm looking at that going, OK, yeah, maybe she fell out. You know, she fell. She banged her head. She drowned. Possible. But the reveal but, was hilarious. Oh, well, the reveal was fantastic. But I, lo- I feel at that point, you just kind of go, son of a bitch. <laughs> I've been, but, I have been MacGuffined one too many. Well, like nine too many times. Uh-huh. <laughs> And thank you for doing that. Because I sat there and I went, ah, all right. You got me. I thought I had me, but no, you got me. (laughs) Okay, I love that. Thank you. I mean, there's nothing better than a good MacGuffin. But when you've been MacGuffin that many times and you think think you've, you've got it figured out too many times, I mean, there are certain people who get away with that. Agatha Christie gets away with that all the time. <laughs> I mean, I'm in August company. What Agatha yeah. Christie does is she has this big bucket of chum. And she throws it at you. And you keep dunking it. You keep ducking it. And eventually she hits you in the face and hits you and hits you and hits you. And finally you just let it hit you. <laughs> Okay, Dome, that's a new addition to my top 10 of, of Dome's ways of describing things. I'm putting that away. The description of Agatha Christie's writing style as a chum. bucket of I'm chum. That one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like that. Actually, to me, she just has so many um, like candidates. You know, I'm like 15 people. I'm like, how much do you keep track of 15 people? They all look the same. Well, up to a point, I thought you were doing that to me. I'm going, okay. So I got 
the four members of the party. Then there's this character over there we just heard about. And now we got these characters showing up, you know, out of the blue, you know, with no real idea. And, and I'm going, okay, how many characters do I have to, to figure, keep track of here? And then, of course, you, you narrow it down on me about oh, three quarters to, no, two thirds of the way through the book. You narrow it down quite a bit. And I'm going, okay, whew, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. That was so much better. But but you do such a good job of, you know, leaving a few little hints because I will honestly tell you for the first, oh, let's say 100 pages, I honestly felt that there was a potential for Jack to be the person that was responsible for all this. Oh, there hell was yeah. Just enough, That's he part was the of the first, MacGuffin. Right, because you're sitting the there first, and you're going, if he's that good with her, how good was he with the chicken bone? Right. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, it, you do a great job with writing this mystery in here and, and, and making you think, because I literally was down between two candidates right up until you basically eliminated J- Jack entirely. And uh, that's probably the part I'll say about that. But, you know, you, you eliminate Jack as a suspect bear, and, you know, at one point. And so it's like, going, OK, then it has to be suspect number two. But seriously, that you left enough chance because, I mean, like Jack's the first one that finds her. And usually in a good murder mystery, you know, that's somebody you want to keep a close eye on, you know, is the first person to find the victim. And so I'm sitting there going, oh, but, you know, it could have been, could have been. I mean, there's enough hints here and there. And so, yeah, it was very well done. Yes. From somebody, like I said, I read. Great. Okay. I I was just going to, I don't want to interrupt you, but I just want to say that's so great because I thought you guys would be all into the, you know, the fantastical science fiction part of it. You know what I mean? Because, yeah. but uh, instead, you guys were actually taking apart the mystery and figuring out who done it. Oh shit! Oh, I, yeah, absolutely. I read, <laughs> I, read, I read Agatha Christie. You know, when I'm not reading science fiction, which I love science fiction, I love fantasy, and I read it on my. But my other genre that I love, I eat up, is Agatha Christie mysteries. Poirot and Miss Marple are like friends to me, and I love reading those books, and I love learning things about storytelling and then there were none is one of my favorite books of hers and so yeah i just i love mysteries and whenever i can get somebody on the show who's written some mystery into their story i love to apply the you know the logic that i learned from agatha christie on their writing and just see what see what they did and how they and they reveal the mystery how they peel back the layers so yeah i love that i love mysteries it's one of my right up there with science fiction and fantasy see cam me. wanted to call this this episode sex and the single werewolf i think i want to call this episode agatha christie in the bucket of chum i really do. yes no we, yes yes we, we have a new name yes it's completely decided okay it has nothing to do with me or werewolves but okay absolutely well it has no see because it has everything to do with you and i'll tell you why our guest tonight has been melissa yee and among other things, Melissa Yee is one of the most eclectic writers we've ever had on the show. And ostensibly, she writes urban fantasy. She writes about werewolves. She writes about medical mysteries. She writes, she writes science fiction. She writes fantasy. She writes all this stuff. Uh, but guess what, kids? What she doesn't tell you she's just a damn good writer and if you pick up a copy of wolf ice uh amidst all the egg juggling that goes on in this it's just a really damn good story and a really damn good mystery 
that you're going to enjoy. That much I'll give you. And when you've picked apart all the different mysteries in there, you're going to sit there and you're going to go, how did I miss that? And you, you're going to miss it because when you were busy looking at everything going on in front of you, she played with you and <laughs> she threw chum at you and there she was. And it was an absolute pleasure getting to talk to you tonight, getting to know you a little bit. And I hope I get to read some more stuff by you and as more stuff of yours comes out. We would absolutely adore having you back on the show. Oh, amazing. Thank you. And thank you. you for- if I can just co- return the compliment, it's such a thrill to have people who actually read the book. <laughs> <laughs> you I are so welcome. You, I cannot tell you how many times we actually hear that. Um, because, uh, first of all, uh, we don't have people on the show whose books we don't read. And we don't have people on the show whose books we don't like. Mm. So, welcome to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. And thanks for coming on so much. And Melissa, we hope to have you back again real soon. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. You're amazing. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Granite Con, Plastic City Comic Con, and the Upper Valley Comic Expo. We are also sponsored by Dreamforge Magazine, a superb magazine of fantasy and science fiction, and Comic Art House. Visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. And if you're looking for a really great gift book for that rapidly approaching semi-annual Fairbanks Melt Day celebration, consider a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, My Peculiar Family, now on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. My Peculiar Family, the audiobook, is available on Audible, because I'm not sure where else you could find it. Our intro production was provided by Rob Watts. For more of his amazing stuff, just look at robwattsonline.com. And don't forget to try the Watts sauce we have. We love it. Our outro was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. You can find Lawrence Made Me Cry's music on Bandcamp and a whole lot of love to Jojo and Celine. Many thanks to the gang from his booking books. Thank you, Captain Cam. This is Dome saying, Terry and Jeannie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus, we all refute entropy. Better things are coming, Stacy. Stay strong, Liz. So, unless it's daytime, good night, everybody. And now, for no particular reason whatsoever, Dr. K. You, you're driving me crazy. What did I do? Tell me what did I do? My tears for you, they make everything hazy. Cloud in the sky that used to be blue. How true. Were the friends who were near me to cheer me, believe me, they knew 
But you were the kind who would hurt me, desert me when I needed you. Yes, you, you are driving me crazy. What did I do? Did I do to you? Friends who were near me to cheer me, believe me, they knew. But you were the kind who would hurt me, hurt me, desert me when I needed you. Yes, you, baby, you, you're driving me crazy. What did I do? Tell me, what did I do? Please, what did I do? 